Welcome to Hawks Talk, the official podcast of your Upper Valley Nighthawks, presented by the Hotel Coolidge. We'll talk all things Nighthawks and happenings in and around the Upper Valley. And now for the first episode of Hawks Talk for the 2023 season, here's Patrick McCaw and Ian Binky. Welcome into Hawks Talk, the official podcast of the Upper Valley Nighthawks presented by the Hotel Coolidge and talking throughout this summer, all things Upper Valley and the Upper Valley Nighthawks here in the NECBL through the first week of the season just about here. But uh, first off, we want to give a big thanks here to the Hotel Coolidge, Ian Binky, Patrick McCall with you and uh, Hotel Coolidge putting us up this summer and uh, couldn't think of a much better place to be here in White River Junction. Yeah, you know, a uh, college student coming for an intern did not need much for housing, but th- they definitely uh, supplied what we needed to get through the summer here at Upper Valley. So we got a lot to get to here on the podcast today. We got some great interviews and some great stuff to talk about through the first couple of games this year. But right now we're going to throw to an interview real quick with the owner of the Upper Valley Nighthawks and Noah Crane. Let's take a listen. Joining us this week is Noah Crane, the owner of the Upper Valley Nighthawks. He formerly owned the Laconia and now defunct Winnipesaukee Muskrats until 2015 and has owned the Nighthawks since 2016, where they made a few playoff pushes. Noah, coming into this season, very different roster from last year. How are you feeling about the team? I feel good. I'm excited. This is always a fun time of year get to see these guys they're just names on a page in September and then to get to see them in person kind of track them certainly through the spring is is always fun and I look forward to tomorrow's game get an opportunity to for them to get out and play finally this team is interesting in that we got a lot of new faces and obviously everybody's new but what I mean by new faces we've turned over nearly 20 guys on this roster and so they're kids who are just rolling into town today who we're, we're just putting eyes on. And so it'll be interesting to see how quickly it comes together. But at least on paper and from what I've seen so far in two days worth of practice, I think we're going to be pretty good. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, off the podcast about how quickly these guys can get some chemistry developed between them and kind of the bond, uh, even though they've played you know different parts of the state or different parts of the country not having played each other before. So how can they develop this chemistry? And after only just two practices heading into the first game tomorrow, I think part of it is they get to spend a lot of time together. They're not going to class. They don't have a job. They're just here to play baseball. So they're at practice together for an hour or two hours, but then most of the day they're exploring the upper Valley. They're hanging out together. They're going fishing, they're going golfing. And you sort of are forced to bond because you're up here in a part of the country you've never been before. You're a long way from home. It's going to get pretty lonely if you don't. And so there's sort of a forced bonding that happens, and it happens pretty quickly. And then one of the benefits of some of these long trips, like Thursday down to Ocean State, it's a lot of bus time. And so you get to know your teammates pretty quickly on those rides back and forth to some of these games. Yeah, so this is Matt Paz's first year as a manager. He served as a hitting coach for several years. So uh, just kind of talk about what went into the decision-making of promoting Matt and what you saw in him during, throughout his years here that made you feel comfortable with making that decision. Yeah, I always like to hire people that I know. 
I don't, it's not that I don't trust resumes, but I'd much rather have a rapport with someone and that, so that I feel comfortable handing them the keys to this team. And Matt is someone that I've known for a long time. He was great for us in an assistant role. It made too much sense to hire him as the manager. I mean, it was sort of his job in waiting and I know that he's going to do a fabulous job. We work well together. We've got a good rapport. I don't have to train him. He knows what I expect of our team. He knows how I expect our guys to behave. He understands the league. He knows the fields. It's just, it was so easy to promote him and give him this job. And I'm excited for the opportunity that it affords him. And that's part of what we do here with the Nighthawks. We're hoping our players go on to play professionally, but we're also hoping our coaching staff moves up the ladder. And we've been fortunate to get guys full-time jobs after coaching here, because that's their goal. And now, Noah, uh, transitioning from uh, coach to now yourself and your role, uh, you've sort of done a little bit of everything. I know you told me that you're a minister during the year. You used to be a baseball coach. You used to play before that. And now you're a team owner. So how does all that blend into what you do with the Night Hacks? And, and what's your ownership style? Yeah, I like that. One, this is community focused. I mean, I love baseball, obviously, but I also love this community. It's been incredibly good to me and my family. And this was a small way that we feel we could give back and provide opportunity for players, opportunity for students like yourselves, a fun time, a unifying time for our community. And so that's really been the driver for me is to be able to kind of meld my love of people and community and my love of baseball. And so for us here, that's what we're trying to accomplish. We want to create a place where people can gather, people can be unified, people can spend a night in a beautiful setting and not leave having uh, put a big dent in their wallet. And so that's been kind of the focus of what we're doing. And for me, it, it gives me an opportunity to, to wear a lot of different hats. Every day is different. Uh, there's some days where things go smoothly. There's some days where things blow up get an opportunity to meet all kinds of new people and be a part of their life for a short season is really rewarding and enjoyable for me. So when the community comes out here, you said it's you know, a community oriented uh, a team here. So what can the community expect when they come out here to the Matchfield Sports Complex to a Nighthawks game? Yeah, first and foremost, they're going to see great baseball. Uh, I mean, that's that's one of the hallmarks of our league is we get some exceptionally talented players who will come through this community and the other communities in our league. So if they're a baseball fan, they'll be pleased with what they see. If they're not a baseball fan, that's totally fine with us. We want them here because what I've always called us is a baseball game slash carnival slash farmer's market. And so we want that, create that fun family-friendly atmosphere where people who don't like the game of baseball or find it boring have so many other things to do. They're going to get great food. They're going to be entertained. The music is always good. Our staff is always lively and engaging. And you just get an opportunity to mingle and see people maybe you don't normally see, hang out with coworkers outside of work. And it's just a fun environment to spend a couple of hours on a summer evening. Yeah, you talked earlier about all the new faces coming in Upper Valley. You said there's 20 new new players coming through. Can you just kind of, who's the one that impresses you? Or is there a list of guys that kind of surprised you when you first saw them practice? I don't know if there are any surprises. You know, with the, with the internet and with all of the games on now, I get to see these guys. In, in years past, that really wasn't the case unless they were somewhat local. 
And so I've seen them play. A lot of them have been on the roster since September, so I've been tracking them, getting to know them a little bit. But uh, like I said earlier, it's just fun to see it in person. It's very different to watch a game on a computer screen and then have them here coming and taking batting practice and playing and performing. And so that, that part is, is always fun for me. I think we've got some guys who are really going to hit. This team's got a lot of versatility. We have players who can play a lot of different positions. We've got some guys who can run well. I think we'll steal a lot of bases. I think the, you know, I'm interested to see how our pitchers react to throwing against wood and throwing in some of the quirky stadiums that exist in this league. But I, I'm optimistic about this team, and I like what I've seen so far. And, and you talked about how you, you have a background uh, in baseball, um, and, and now you've been a part of the Nighthawks for a while. So based on uh, what we've touched on from last season, the team uh, struggled to be consistent offensively, and you touched on some of the new guys this year. What is it going to take for this year's team to make a run and possibly get that first championship for the Nighthawks? That's a great question, and I think if I had an answer to that, we would have more championships than we do, <laughs> which is zero at this point. There, that's right. And, and, you know, what's interesting about summer baseball is there are a lot of factors that go into it. You could have the 1927 Yankees in June, and a couple of those guys get hurt or a couple of those guys leave because they missed their girlfriend, and now all of a sudden your lineup, which was amazing, is pretty pedestrian. And so there are a lot of things that make for a successful summer team. Yes, you want to start out with a strong roster, but if you can add a few key guys in July that give you a boost, that always helps. And a lot of it comes down to two things. It's chemistry with your team. Do they want to compete? Do they want to win? And then two, can you avoid injuries and defections? And it, what you usually see is it's not necessarily the best team that wins it. It's the most intact team that wins it. And so for us two years ago, we felt we had that club that was a championship caliber team and guys kept dropping like flies and we wound up just with the skeleton crew at the end and bowed out of the playoffs. So that's really what it's going to take. Are these guys going to work? Do they want to win? Do they love the game of baseball? Because it's a grind in the summer. And then can we keep as many people here as possible, staying away from injuries and making sure that you know, they don't have to go home early for some other reason? So when fans come here for the first time, they tune into the games on the NECBL network or come here to the ballpark. Uh, unlike Major League Baseball, there's not really that big insight to the offseason and what goes into preparing for the year. So what is that process like for you? Yeah, I'm fortunate to have a lot of friends in the industry. And having coached college baseball for a number of years, a lot of friends, a lot of former players are coaches, a lot of former Nighthawks our coaches are still in the game. And so it gives me, I think, a leg up on others that I'm going to get some quality players because of the relationships we have, but then I can trust their recommendations. This is a league that players want to play in. This is a league that coaches want to send their players to. And so there's no shortage of guys. It's figuring out who are the ones that you can trust off the field and who are the ones who are actually going to be able to compete at this level? Stats can be deceiving. You know, if you play against weak competition, you might have great stats and then come here and, and not be very good. And so if I have friends or friends in the scouting community or the coaching community who says, yeah, this guy can really play and you can trust him off the field, those are the people that we try to go after. And it's, 
it helps when you have some background information on the guys and you're not just looking at stats and just throwing darts at a dartboard trying to put a roster together. For me, I'm trying to find guys with some versatility, guys who can run a little bit, players who don't strike out a lot because that matters here, and then pitchers who throw strikes. I mean, that's generally the formula for what we look for. And like I said before, I'm fortunate to have a lot of friends in the industry who can give me good recommendations because I can't get out and watch these guys. I don't get to travel all over the country and watch fall baseball and put my roster together that way. That'd be fun. That'd be really cool to do, but that's just not how it works. So you have to rely on friends and coaches and scouts and then a little bit of luck as well. You know, summer baseball is very unique in the fact that the off seasons are very long and the, sh- and the season is only two months, maybe longer if you make the playoffs. So I'm wondering, you know, what keeps your blood pumping and like what kind of excites you about the whole process, you know, with the long off seasons and, you know. Yeah, it's it building something. You know, every year is different. That's it's good and bad. I mean, there's certainly players that I've had over the years that we could wish we'd have back every single year. And There are always a few who are like, oh, that's good. It's only one summer. (laughs) And for me, it's following them, putting the roster together, coming up with merchandise, coming up with ideas to entertain our fans, engaging with the community to see what they want. So it's a little bit of everything over the offseason. And then once we get past January 1st, it's very much like, okay, baseball's coming. And Every year it happens to me where I think, I've got more time. I've got more time. And and then I'm out here at midnight hanging banners. And that's just kind of how it goes. Not to mention in the rain. In the rain, too. The (laughs) rain and the wind were not helping us out at all today. We had to hit pause, and we'll finish tomorrow. But there's a lot of fun and a a lot of different aspects that go into building a team. And it's not something that it's... It's not five days a week, every single week. But in spurts, doing a little bit here, doing a little bit there. And so over time, the calendar just ticks away. And tomorrow's opening day. Yeah. All right, Noah. And then just to wrap it all up, we've talked about baseball. We've talked about the community and the Nighthawks fans. Uh, what's, what do you value more, you know, the, the winning side of it or, or creating a fun, uh, great atmosphere for the community? I don't know if there's one over the other. I think if I had to lean on one, it'd be the community aspect. It'd be the people. Um, because I think that we could lose 10 to 0, and people are still going to have a good time here at the park. And that, to me, is, is kind of what matters. I'm a competitor. I played baseball. I want to win. I would love it if we went 44-0 and 0 and then won a championship. I know that's not realistic. But winning helps. People want to see a winning team. People don't want to come out and watch the Bad News Bears and see us kick balls all over the infield and strike out and make errors. That, that's not very fun. So we want to win. We want to be competitive. And I like winning games. You know, I think if you ask my family that question, they'd probably say he likes winning games more. But <laughs> I do love the community aspect, the opportunity to, to see people outside of the work environment, to see young kids playing baseball over on that softball field right behind us, just kind of makeshift games, the way they chase foul balls here at the ballpark. Our fans who come early and put their chairs down in front of the fence and to mark their spot out, those are the things that that really encourage me and excite me to see that we have become part of the fabric of the Upper Valley Summer. And that makes a difference for me. You know, We haven't won a championship, but people are still coming out We had our best year ever last year from an attendance standpoint. People enjoy what we do. They keep coming, and that's really rewarding for me. 
It's Noah Crane, owner of the Nighthawks. Noah, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much to Noah Crane for taking the time to sit down with us. That interview was uh, just before the season started, one of our practices at the Maxfield Sport Complex. And as of recording this on Saturday, preparing for the home opener and the opener of the Governor's Cup against the Vermont Mountaineers. But before we can look ahead to what's... Uh, the, the schedule ahead has for Upper Valley. Let's take a look back at the first couple of games Upper Valley went on the road. For the first three games of the year, went 2-1. and one. They fell on opening night to the Keene Swamp Bats 6-4, and then they got two straight wins, a 7-3 victory in Rhode Island against Ocean State, and then a 7-5, 11-inning victory against the Sanford Mainers. Patrick, what stood out to you in those first couple of games? Well, yeah, to start the season at Keene, you know, you could definitely tell the, you know, first game jitters definitely took place on the Nighthawk pitchers. It was a little rough there. They did calm down. But I think that that, you know, probably is the story of the game because we got a little behind early. We couldn't really come back. But, yeah, otherwise, Nighthawks pitching has been lights out, I would say, especially in the bullpen, uh, especially against Ocean State. I mean, it was a night and day between the two teams pitching. So a couple of franchise records, actually, for the Nighthawks in the first two games. The batters for Upper Valley displayed an excellent eye at the plate. They actually set the franchise record for the most walks through two games. They walked 20 times, which was a new franchise record. And then on the mound, they tied a franchise record through two games, 23 strikeouts. And they kept it going in yesterday's ballgame against Sanford. Seven strikeouts, including five from the starter, Brendan Walker. Yeah, was talking about the walks, I mean, I think Dylan Palmer ha is, has been on base eight times, and seven of which have been via walk. So it's definitely been an interesting start to the season. But if you get on base, you know, the Nighthawks have shown to get those runners back to home plate and score some runs. Yeah, the Nighthawks have done an excellent job of doing that, scoring runs. Yeah, they, even in that loss to Keene, they had a lot of opportunities to score. And, and looking back through the score sheets here, they've left a lot of runners on base. Uh, they've left at least 11 runners on base through the first three games. That's something that you have to imagine they'd have to improve on as we progress throughout the season. Yeah, again, this could also be, you know, start of the season, getting a little of the rust out. Plus, we have a lot of players that have yet to come back from the tournament in college. So we'll see how that progresses throughout the season. But for me right now, uh, I'm just looking to see some steady progress of getting back in the swing of things. So we'll talk a little bit more about those players that are still uh, playing playoff baseball with their collegiate teams in just a few minutes here on Hawks Talk. But uh, right now, we want to look at throughout the roster at some players that have uh, really stood out to us throughout the first three, ga three games. And I know what you might be saying. Yes, it's a small sample size, especially uh, you mentioned Dylan Palmer on eight times. He's got, you know, a, a gaudy on base percentage with his seven walks. But, uh, you know, it's still you can take some quality statistics out of a small sample size. So, Patrick, who are a couple of guys that have really stood out to you so far this season? Yeah, I think the first guy is uh, Steve Harrington, who's kind of probably the most notable hitter from the first game in Keene. He had a, a home run, but what the stash he would not um, show you is he almost had two. With a, His first at-bat was he hit the wall in the left field, I believe, or it might have been a deep fly-out. But every time he hits it, it seems like it's powerful and it has a chance to go. 
But even last game against the Mainers, he had three singles. So he's been getting on base, and he's been producing for the Nighthawks. Yeah, he went three for five in the win against Sanford. And he didn't come around to score, but was a, a very solid presence at first base as well. A couple of key picks, especially on the late-inning play where Tyler Long made a throw and he had to pick it out, or rather it was Chris Worcester at shortstop. Also a nice play by Tyler Long, who uh, I think the middle infield for Upper Valley can really be a, a steady presence. Both Tyler Long and Chris Worcester up the middle have made some outstanding plays at the shortstop and second base position. And think of uh, Tyler Long made the diving play in the eighth inning last night against Sanford, which really really stopped a what could have been a huge inning for the Mainers. They'd already scored a run and had runners on second and third, and Long's diving play helped to get that game into extra innings, which Upper Valley eventually got the upper hand and also uh, Chris Worcester made a couple of great plays in the game against Ocean State. Some running throws, really some athleticism up the middle for the Nighthawks. Yeah, like you said, I mean, that last game against the Mainers, when it was late in the game, it was starting to get a little crazy. There is, I believe, one out late in the eighth when bases got loaded. And, you know, the Nighthawks really came through there. It was looking like all momentum was about to it was about to switch to the Mainers' side, but great defense by the Nighthawks, and I believe there's a pitching change. Uh, Misla came out. I forget who, who came in. It was Zach Rogers yes, who came in. Yes, Zach Rogers threw lights out those, to get those last two outs and really saved the Nighthawks there. And Luis Misla is also another guy. You look at his spin rate on a lot of his pitches, a high spin rate, which really plays at the higher levels of baseball. Now, Misla, he's going to SUNY Cortland next year and uh, after two seasons at Hudson Valley Community College. But it, his numbers on his on his uh, spin rate, it really induces a lot of swing and miss for opposing hitters. Yeah, I remember in the press box yesterday when Misla took the mound, um, one of the Mainers staff was like his uh, was it his, which um, his spin his spin rate was twenty seven point two, and they're like wow, uh, and like you could see it when he was throwing, it was really impressive. So Missla is definitely a guy that could have a strong summer here and be a valuable valuable bullpen guy for the Nighthawks. And Missla has pitched in two games already this year through three games for Upper Valley, and. Uh, he, he pitched on short rest against Sanford as well, which goes to be said he pitched in the opener against Keene and was a, a pitched a scoreless couple of innings, or rather a two-thirds of an inning. But uh, then against Sanford, he went two and two-thirds, three hits, one run, one walk, two strikeouts. But uh, really the that run came in the back half of his outing when maybe some fatigue was starting to set in for Misla. But the, the bullpen, which is going to be bolstered by a couple of arms as we go on into the season, has proven to be a strength, especially early on against Keene. Now, there were some control issues there, but the bullpen did not allow a hit against the Swamp Bats. Yeah, um, I talked to Chad Sturgeon a little bit about that. He said he's not really worried. He thinks it was the first game jitters that really took place against Keene. And he said he's going to keep rolling the guys out constantly because he believes in them. And they, they've shown in the last two games that they can have really strong performances and kind of take over the game. So I think as we go on the season, as we uh, gather a couple more arms, uh, I think it might be honestly be the biggest strength of this Nighthawks team. Now going back to the lineup for a minute, we were talking a little bit before we – Started recording the podcast today, but Garrett Pike is another player that really stands out on both sides of the ball for the Nighthawks. Now, the power is something that was renowned coming in. Uh, he was among the leaders of the Toledo Rockets in home runs this season, and he had a big blast 
in the win against Ocean State, a three-run bomb to be exact. But he's also impressed on the other side of the baseball out in right field. He made a great diving play, ranging into foul territory, running out of room in Sanford, ran a long way to flag that one down. And he's also showcased a really strong arm in the outfield. Yeah, yesterday he showed two really amazing plays honestly that showed off his arm and it really got all of us looking at each other like wow he has a cannon uh it might not translate it in getting the out because it was a little late or like i think one of them was a tad off but just having an arm like that can really like you know it could be a big deal yeah especially when uh you know you have a key situation late in a game where a team might have a runner on third and a medium depth fly ball that can plant that seed of doubt in a coach's mind and the thinking, should I send him or not? It really provides that X factor on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, Gary Pike, we all know what he could do on the offense. He can he could slam it. People were saying Pike bombs. I don't know if that's appropriate <laughs> or not, but it's funny. So I think Gary Pike can be one of the main contributors to this team offensively and defensively. So you talked a little bit about your off-camera, uh, off-mic conversation with uh, pitching coach Chad Sturgeon, but right now we want to throw it to a conversation that we actually had with first-year manager Matt Paws of the Upper Valley of Nighthawks. We all sat down and had the chance to talk to him for a little bit before the season got underway. Let's take a listen. Our second guest tonight is Matt Paws. Matt was the hitting coach in 2017, 2018, and 2022 before being named the manager for this upcoming 2023 season. And he did get some managerial experience against the Sanford Mainers in the last game of the 2022 season when Justin DeVoid was the manager. Matt, what do you think is going to be the biggest change being a manager this year from being the hitting coach last year? You know, a little more responsibility, uh, making sure all the guys are happy, um, you know, dealing with the pitchers. You know, I think that's the biggest challenge in summer ball is just managing your pitchers. Um, you know, so definitely be in tune with that. Um, you know, Chad's really good about, you know, keeping in touch with me about what's going on with the pitcher. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest difference is just kind of more guys to keep track of. Um, and then obviously the in-game stuff. Um, but I'm excited. With having guys like Adarius and uh, Randall coming back this year, what kind of leadership do you expect out of them this season? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Randall, this is his third year here. Um, so, you know, he knows he knows the ropes. He knows what the Upper Valley's like, which I think is big. Um, for a lot of the new guys coming to the area, you know, they're new to the area. A lot of guys have never even been in the Northeast before. So having him here, who's been here for three years, um, and then, of course, Adarius, who came in last year halfway through, um, and he was really good. He really enjoyed his time, um, and we're happy to have him back. Yeah, so we're recording this before the season starts. So let's give, like, a general, like, how do you feel about the team going into the season, and where do you think they can go? Yeah, we're excited. Um, you know, I, I think I've told someone before, you know, we got we got a lot of guys offensively we're excited about. Um, we have some, you know, we have the ability to kind of move guys around, some flexibility with that, um, which is good, um, you know, because we can play guys more that are hot in the lineup, get them more at bats. Um, and then the pitching staff, obviously, we have more arms, I think, than we did last year. Um, so I think we're in a lot better position to kind of, um, you know, treat the summer as a marathon. Um, and hopefully at the end of the year, we're in it. Um, and that's summer ball, right? We hang around and hopefully get off to a hot start. I think that's important. Um, but, yeah, like I said, we're excited. Um, we had a good group of guys, so hopefully we can compete um, for a championship. 
And now that you're the head man, this is your vision. You get to put out um, the kind of baseball players that you want to see. So what is that sort of identity, that culture that you want to see out there on the field? Do you want to see them playing fast, playing uh, just what's that sort of identity that you want to see out there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I let the guys know, you know, I expect them to come to the ballpark each day um, and ready to play hard. Um, you know, I want all my guys to play hard out there. Um, I really want to run. I think we have some guys that can run uh, on the base paths. Um, you know, we can cause some havoc on the base paths, um, you know, put pressure on the other team. So that's that's kind of my philosophy. Um, and then obviously from the pitching side, just throw strikes. Um, I think for the most part, if we throw strikes, we'll be fine. Um, so, yeah. Uh, one of the big things about baseball this year at all levels was the new rules, the pitch clock and everything like that. Now, any CBL is more relaxed. You don't have the pitch clock, but... Uh, do you think the for pitchers and hitters alike, there's still that kind of emphasis on pace of play? Yeah, honestly, I haven't talked to the guys about that. Um, I've been meaning to ask, especially the hitters, if you know if they, they feel kind of rushed. Um, I know pitchers, for the most part, like to work a little quicker. Um, so it will be interesting to see kind of how they adjust from spring ball to summer ball. Um, you know, I'm sure their habits have all changed by now um, to kind of speed the game up a little bit. Um, but that's a good question. I mean, I'm sure the guys are used to it by now. Everyone's used to it by now. So I'm sure there won't be any issues with you know, guys getting sped up or anything like that. Um, that's a good question. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, you talked a little bit earlier about managing the pitchers, how it's going to be new for you. How do you say your uh, your style with managing pitchers is going to work? Are you going to give Chad kind of like the reins over it, or are you going to be a little bit more hands-on? Yeah, I mean, Chad, like I said, Chad does a great job. Um, you know, so most of the communication, um, you know, the thoughts will be coming from him. I'm going to rely on him a lot. Um, but definitely just trying to communicate with the pitchers more. I think that's really important with guys who can throw when they can't throw um, on certain days um, and just being prepared. Um, we really try and t uh, to let guys know when they're pitching ahead of time. That way they can you know, schedule their lifts around it, schedule their bullpens. Um, so that'll be an important part for me, like you said, is new. Um, it's just communicating with the pitchers daily and seeing who's ready to go. Um, with summer ball uh, in specific, I'm always really curious about how um, managers, head coaches, um, coach, knowing that these players have their own head coaches back at their schools. Have you thought about that now that this is your job? Um, and how are you going to approach that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing this a while now. Um, you know, obviously, it's my first year as a head coach. So but I've been doing it for a while to know it's, you know, what the guys need. Um, and I think us here, we have a culture and Noah um, from the top down is, the emphasis is to get guys better um, and kind of whatever they need to get better. You know, we're not going to have practice on off days. We're not going to be doing more stuff than they need to do. Um, we're going to expect them to show up to the ballpark ready to go. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, what do they need from me um, in order to become better baseball players? And I think as a coaching staff, we're on the same page with that. You talked a little about the returners to the team this year, but whole crop of new talent here coming to the Upper Valley. What, uh, name some guys you're, you're excited about and uh, the fans can really look forward to seeing on the field. Yeah, uh, Dylan Palmer, uh, he'll be a second baseman for us. We're excited about him. He brings a lot of speed um, and athleticism to the field. Um, Cesarini can hit it in the outfield. Uh, we're excited to have Adarius back. He can swing it. Um, and then Harrington, who can play both first and um, the outfield as well. Um, we're excited about a lot of guys. I mean, like I said, I think we're in a good position this year. We have a lot of guys that can play a lot of different positions, um, and I think we're going to hit the ball. Um, so we're excited about that. And again, the pitching staff, um, we got a lot of guys who had good springs, um, throw a lot of strikes, and have really good stuff. Um, so overall, we're excited. 
Uh, you were the hitting coach here for several years, and last year the team hit very well. Is there like a certain strategy or game plan that you guys used last season that would carry over to this season to uh, see that continued success? Yeah, I mean, we're, we stress hit fastballs. Um, you know, the majority of the guys hit fastballs really well. Um, you know, especially when guys start to get in a slump. You know, a lot of guys do. Um, obviously, the summer's long, so it's just stressing hitting fastballs, hitting pitches they can handle, knowing their zone, swinging at strikes. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, make sure hitters are comfortable in what they're swinging at. Um, every year we see it's an adjustment with the wood bats. Um, but guys seem to, you know, if they have a good approach at the plate and we can have good conversations, they tend to um, get used to those really quick. And uh, one more question. Uh, we've, we've talked about the baseball side of things, um, but what about uh, the community side of things? How excited are you um, to sort of represent Upper Valley in front of these fans and get the community involved coming out here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've always said I'm from the area. Um, so, you know, having, yeah, um, Hartford guy. So having this, uh, having this organization here, um, I think this is year eight. Um, you know, it was really exciting for the community. And I think the past couple of years you've seen, we've had, you know, competitive teams and we've gotten a lot of support, um, which is great. And being from here, I think, you know, that's exciting as well to kind of represent my community in that way um, and represent baseball in the Upper Valley, um, which is good. And Matt Paul is manager of the Upper Valley Nighthawks. Matt, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, guys. And thank you so much again to Matt Paws for taking the time to sit down with us and really give a preview to the season, not only for uh, Upper Valley, but for him taking the reins now for the first year with the Nighthawks as the head man, the manager of Upper Valley. So uh, looking a little bit now to what could be coming to Upper Valley, you know, you we previewed what we've already seen, or reviewed, I guess, a little bit, what we've already seen for the Nighthawks. But now let's talk a little bit about some of the players who are still playing with their college teams, all the roster here in Upper Valley, but are playing playoff baseball at all levels of the NCAA. Now, Southern Miss, you have a couple guys on the roster there, mainly, uh, namely Nick Monastere and Matthew Russo, along with uh, a pitcher for... Upper Valley Chase Adams are still with the Golden Eagles. They're in the Super Regional right now, and two Kentucky Wildcats pitchers also there, Evan Byers and Christian Howe. Then at the D2 level, they have a player in the National Championship, chance to win it all, Austin Beck, a rising junior at Angelo State. He's, uh, he's helped the Rams just a couple, or rather just one win away, I believe from lifting some silverware at the D2 level. Now, what are something that what's something that these players can provide to Upper Valley once they make the trip up to White River Junction and the uh, and the area around the Upper Valley? Well, I think right now it's just depth. I mean, we've already seen the Nighthawks start the season three straight away games and we've already seen a lot of pitchers come out and you know have to th have to throw a couple games in a row because we don't have the depth right now. So I think a lot of this is going to help us in the long run just keep guys fresh. And honestly, it's just going to make the team stronger. Yeah, and among those names, four of them can pitch. Uh, Byers and Howe are exclusively pitchers for the Wildcats and also providing some veteran experience at the SEC level. And both of them are going to be juniors next season. So they've done it at one of the highest levels of the collegiate game. And then on the other side, Nick Monastere and Chase Adams both, or rather Chase Adams is a pitcher exclusively, but Nick Monastere is a two-way player for the Golden Eagles. So 
we talked about it on the broadcast in the Sanford game, but it's so important to have two-way players on your roster because they can only take up one roster spot, but they really provide the value of two players for your team. Yeah, I mean, versatility is everything. If you can get a guy that can do a little bit of everything, it's really going to help out your whole lineup. You know, if he can go in and pitch a couple innings and, you know, get you through some tough times and maybe, you know, get a single, get a guy on base, it's going to be huge. And you got to think about uh, the the revelation that's come around after Shohei Otani came to the major leagues, and he's done great things for the Angels, and uh, it, it's really inspired a lot of players uh, in the youth level, which now at this point, after Otani broke through in 2018, they're now at the collegiate level of baseball, so a lot of players where in the past you might have seen them pick one or the other, pick if they want to be in the field or a pitcher. Now they're willing to give two-way, uh, being a two-way player, a try at the higher levels of baseball, and I think that's a great thing for the sport. Yeah, I mean, the more you can do, the more valuable you become. You know, If you can do stuff on both sides, like pitch and hit, you become super valuable to these teams that are like looking out for types of prospects like, the, like that, and you, know, you probably have a better shot of making it to where you want to be. So looking ahead now just a tad as we close out this week's podcast coming out on Sunday, if you're listening it now or uh, a little bit down the road, Upper Valley will host the Vermont Mountaineers on Saturday. Be sure to stay tuned to socials or the NECBL network for that. And they get Sunday off, so appropriate you get the chance to listen to the podcast on Sunday and enjoy a uh, uh, a day without Nighthawks baseball. But then after that, it's a very, very busy week for Upper Valley. On Monday, they head back to Sanford, another road trip up to Maine and historic Goodall Park. And then they're back home on Tuesday to face the Bristol Blues. On Wednesday, they travel to Valley to play the Blue Sox. And then home on Thursday against Keene. Friday, they open game two of the Governor's Cup on the road against the Mountaineers of Vermont. Then Saturday, they are back home to face Martha's Vineyard, who has to come a long way to play Upper Valley here in Vermont. Yeah, it's going to be a tough stretch, but we've seen this week the Nighthawks are capable of uh, pulling out wins in these types of games. And, you know, I think as we go down the season, we're going to see the resiliency of this team with uh, tough schedules like this. And, yeah. Uh, also should mention Sunday, uh, it's a doubleheader on the road against the North Adams Steeplecats. First pitch, 4 o'clock to start that twin bill. So you know, a little bit of an early bus trip all the way down to Massachusetts for that ball game. But then the Nighthawks have something to look forward to. They get two days off on the 19th and the 20th. So that's some time to rest, relax, get some uh, arms back rested and healthy. And it's really a grind here in the collegiate summer ball season, especially in the NECBL. A lot of travel for these teams, which, uh, I mean, the goal of it is to simulate what life is like in the minor leagues, some long bus trips, and that can really sap your energy. You and I know it well. We get on those oh, bus yeah. trips, and uh, especially the one down to uh, Ocean State the other day, you know, four-plus hours on the highways can can be taxing even if you're not driving, but uh just for the players, they got to energize themselves and get going through this long schedule. And it's a long road ahead, but already some tough tests for Upper Valley with three straight road games. And they got a winning record. 
Yeah, like you said, those bus trips can be rough. Like that Ocean State game, I it, it was a long one, let me just tell you. But, you know, for these players, I think it's really important to get that experience of just getting used to the long trips because if they do make it to the Myers, this is what they're going to be going through every single day. So it's a really important experience for them just to get used to it and be like play after the long travel. So we talked a lot about baseball here on the podcast, but uh, one of the other goals of the Hawks Talk pod is to give some insight for um, people living in the Upper Valley and uh, especially for folks like you and I and most of the other interns here with the Upper Valley Nighthawks. We're not from the area when we kind of... Uh, taking in these sites uh, almost like a tourist a little bit but we are residents of the upper valley for the next couple of uh next couple of months here and uh now we said it's a lot of bus rides and uh we, we've seen a lot of the entire uh coastal regions and other regions of new england as well but what kind of experiences have you had here and we just had a fantastic uh lunch breakfast brunch whatever you want to call it at the four aces diner just down the road in uh, Lebanon, New Hampshire, but uh, what kind of experiences have you had here in the area? Yeah, I think it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, I had a six and a half hour drive to get here for the summer. Uh, that wasn't so fun. But, you know, moving in, settling down, I felt good meeting all the guys and Carolyn. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but, you know, it's you get on the road right away. You just have to kind of take everything in and, you know, take it step by step. Yeah, and the uh, Nighthawks also are very active in the community. You look at the outfield, which if you're coming down to the home opener on uh, Saturday, you'll see the the banners on the outfield wall is absolutely painted with advertisements and uh, shout-outs from businesses and, and partners with the local community and uh, very active in promoting a lot of businesses in the local area. And it's really all about community here for the Upper Valley Nighthawks. Yeah, I'm really excited for this first home game to, to kind of sense the, the first time what this community and what the Nighthawks kind of means to this community. We've been on the road, and we've seen some great crowds, maybe not at Ocean State. <laughs> but, you know, these teams really like seem to mean something to these people, and I, I'm really excited to see what the Upper Valley Nighthawks mean to this region. So that's just going to about do it here for the first episode of Hawks Talk in four years. How does it feel to be the first uh, episode in four years for Hawks Talk? I mean, it feels good. You know, we're back. Um, I don't know why it's uh, why it was gone, but it's gonna be a great time. So if you're listening, you know, come back every single week, and you'll get all the news you ever need. And we'll have more great content for you in just about a week's time. But that's gonna do it here for the first episode of the 2023 season of Hawks Talk. For my partner today, Patrick McCall. My name is Ian Binky. Thank you so much for spending your time with us here, and we hope to see you at Maxfield Sports Complex in the near future. In the meantime, take care and have a good one.